Our reading this evening is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everyone. If you've got a Bible, please turn to the passage that was read to us, Colossians chapter 1. And I just want to underline verse 13 and verse 14 briefly this evening. Well, wasn't that an extraordinary testimony that we just watched and witnessed, heard from Natalie? And just two weeks where all hell let loose in her life and then she lived with the shame and the trauma for the next two years of that. But she brought it to the cross and she knew forgiveness and she knew the freedom that the cross brings and the joy that was put in its place. And it may well be that you've got not two weeks, but 20 years or worth of baggage and stuff that you feel ashamed of. And you just long that it could be removed. Well, tonight's a good night for it. And the Lord who met with Natalie and cleansed her and set her free is the God who can meet with you this evening. He loves to do that, it's what he does. Tonight we're continuing our series called Cross-Shaped Lives. As we look at the meaning uh, and the impact of the cross for us as we enter into this Holy Week. And I want to talk this evening about three words that changed the world. Three words that have changed the world and three words that can change your life. I wonder if you've seen that epic uh, award-winning Indian movie, RRR, or as we say in the West Country, OOR, or something like that. Anyone seen that? Just a few hands? Well, I really recommend it. Uh, it came on uh, a few months ago. I was at Netflix on my day off, and uh, I watched it. It was three hours. Tiffany was at work, so I watched it for three hours. It was completely epic. And when Tiffany came home, I prepared supper, and I said, darling, i got a film to watch this evening. She said, how nice. And then I watched it again for three hours. And it really is a remarkable Indian movie dubbed in English and with subtitles. Truly remarkable, if a bit uncomfortable. The RRR title of it uh, apparently was shorthand working title representing the first names of the producer 
and the two main actors, whose names obviously start with R. But the official title in Telugu, the language of southern India, became an acronym for RRR. I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong. Forgive me if you know how to do it right. Rudram Ranam Rudhiram. And roughly translated, that means rage, war, blood. And that is one aspect of this movie, Be Warned. But actually, there's a lot of love in this movie. And really, the whole story is about rescue and redemption and restoration. Those are the three R's. And those are the three R's that I want us to think about this evening. Because that's really what Easter is all about. R, R, R. It's about God's love for us. God's action towards us. His movement towards us in love to rescue us, to redeem us, and to restore us. The best line in the movie is when one of the leading actors says to the other, your friendship is more valuable than life, brother, and I'll die with pride. If we want to understand the nature and character, the purpose and the working of the cross of Christ, it is that friendship with us means more to God than life. And he's willing to give his life in love to establish that relationship, that friendship. Well, let's tuck in. We'll think about our three R's and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Verse R, the cross rescues us. Verse 13 in our reading says, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. God has rescued us from the power and the authority and the realm and the rulership and the kingdom of all darkness. And the word there translated uh, in our reading in the text literally means to deliver. It means to save. It means to bring to safety. Now, some people don't want deliverance. They don't want rescue, and they don't think they need it. They balk at the suggestion that they might need to be saved by God. In the words of Urban Cowboy, I don't need your help, and I don't want your help. And if you don't need it, and you don't want it, you don't get it, and you're left to yourself. And let's see how that works out. Others may follow the Buddha, who said, no one can save us but ourselves. And if that's true, we're in trouble because we're on our own. But many recognize their need for rescue. We know we can't make it on our own. We know that we need a power greater than the one that we can muster, a power outside of ourselves to save ourselves, a power greater than our own to deliver us from sin, to remove the shame of it, to remove the guilt, to break its grip upon our life. We're, if we're to be saved, we need a savior. 
If we're to be delivered, we need a deliverer. If we're to be rescued, we need a rescuer. We are not Baron von Munchausen who rides a horse into a mucky pit and can pull himself out by pulling on his own hair. We can't save ourselves. If there's to be a rescue, we need a rescuer. And at the heart of the Christian faith is exactly that. But people know they need rescuing. It's no surprise that almost four billion hits come up on Google if you type in the words, someone save me. I know because I typed it this week. And there were four million options. That's a lot of people out there talking about it. Four, not four million, four billion. Four billion. Jesus' name means God to the rescue. That's literally what it means in Hebrew. And Jesus came to save us. He came to save us from ourselves. He came to save us from our sin. He came to save us from the powers of darkness that bind us. He came to save us from the judgment on our sin by God that we deserve. And Jesus saves us because we couldn't save ourselves. And Jesus saves us by not saving himself. And Jesus saves us because he loves us more than he loved himself. And the cross marks the spot. It marks the place in time and space where God steps in to rescue us, to deliver us, to set us free. And it's a great mystery. I've been a minister and a preacher for 30 years. I still haven't fathomed it. I still feel I'm scratching around the edges of it. It's a mystery and a marvel. In his death, Jesus, the light of the world, enters the heart of darkness to transform it. And in his death, Jesus satisfies the justice of God who must punish sin, the just Judge is judged in our place at the cross. And in his death, Jesus covers. His blood wipes away our sin. It wipes away what gets in the way between us and God. And at the cross, the servant king disarms and defeats the serpent king. That's where it happens at the cross. You see, our sin caused a great chasm, a great gulf between us and God. Theologians call it the fall. It's when we fell away. Our first forefathers rejected God. They were given free will to choose to follow God, to live with him. They're made in the image of God so they have the capacity for freedom and willing, but instead they willed the wrong. They will to reject God, to disobey God, to go, in their own, to go their own way, to do their own thing. And great was their fall. And they tumbled backwards away from God into oblivion. And every one of us have inherited their DNA. We're born falling away from God. And at the cross, God says enough already. And he reaches into our time and space and he reaches out to us to rescue us 
and to bring us close. And there at the cross, Jesus, the loveliest life the world has ever known, the eternal Son of God, the one who spoke the world into being and sustains it by his powerful word, he, the eternal Logos, the rationalizing principle of the universe, takes human form, is born in a virgin's womb, God and human flesh wed in that womb, and he's born with a purpose, he's born to die. He's given the name Jesus, God to the rescue. And that rescue is affected at Golgotha, the place of the skull, at Calvary. And there God for man stretches out his arms, hung, hoisted aloft over the world. God for man, man for God, reaching out and reconciling and uniting the two. What an extraordinary thing. What a remarkable marvel. My friend Mark, I've told this before. I can't remember when, so I'm telling it again. I'm of that age. He served for 17 years with the British SAS soldiers. And he tells the story, he told me how his former troop were involved in the liberation of British military hostages that were being held by terrorists in Sierra Leone. The SAS entered in by helicopter into the camp and they took control of it and they located where the hostages were and they went in and they blew open the door and uh, they blew off the, 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 the um, bars that were behind which was the uh, hostages. And the SAS trooper says to them, we are here to rescue you, but you must come with us now. They had a choice. They could stay in the cell, they could stay in the jail, or they could get up and follow their rescuer. Of course, up they got, and they followed, and they were led out, and there was a Chinook helicopter, and uh, one of the SAS troopers who'd come to rescue them was shot and killed instantly. And my friend Mark told me that the the hostages who'd been liberated were put on the Chinook and they put the body of the shot soldier there. And you'll know that the rear on the Chinook helicopter, the rear rotor goes up uh, uh, and then this one comes and up it comes, tail first. And my friend said the blood of the soldier ran down through the helicopter and surrounded their feet. And then he said this, they knew the price of their freedom. They're in red. They knew the cost of their freedom. And Jesus comes to rescue us. And he rescues us by giving himself. And through his blood, we are set free. But we've got to go with him. We've got to say yes to him or else we stay in the cell. First R, rescue. Secondly, the cross redeems us. Verse 14 in our reading goes on to say, in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. These are a religious sounding words, but the word redemption from a Greek word, lutron, literally means ransom. A ransom that is paid. Literally, it means the liberty price. Liberty price. 
Redemption means that you are brought out of slavery, you are bought out of debt. It's a term that we occasionally hear in English usage. Uh, It means to get something back in exchange for a payment. To get something back, but something had to be paid. You know, we say they managed to redeem their bad reputation or You've got 90 days to redeem your winning lotto ticket. Or this voucher can be redeemed for a free meal at the local restaurant. Or they redeemed their mortgage after 20 years to give something, to get something back. And in the ancient world, this word meant to pay the ransom or liberty price for a slave to be set free. It would immediately have great power as a word, as a concept in the Roman Empire, the context in which this was written. It's estimated that up to 20% of the population of Rome at this time, first century, were slaves. So it's a term that was powerful and visceral and emotional. It was the stuff of dreams. The idea that somehow you could be bought out, brought out of slavery and become a free woman or a free man. And actually, in theory, whilst you could be brought out of slavery, in reality, it was almost impossible. The Bible portrays humankind as being in slavery to sin and the powers of the demonic, of darkness, that were bound, that were enslaved, and that we are completely incapable of setting ourselves free or of buying ourselves out of it, of paying the ransom price. And our sin puts us in debt to God, to his justice, and it's a debt we could never meet. It's a debt that brings judgment. Judgment brings punishment. Punishment leads to separation and ultimately dissipation and death. But here's the thing, God in Christ Jesus comes to redeem us. Jesus is the redeemer. He is the one who comes to pay the debt and set us free. And not only is he the redeemer, but he, his life is the price of our redemption. It's the redemption cost. He dies and sheds his blood and that covers our sin. Again, it's a mystery. I can't get my head round it. In a minute, we're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to come to this feast and we're going to drink the cup, the wine. We're going to take the wafer and dip it in the wine, the wafer that speaks of his broken body shattered on that tree. And the wine speaks of his blood. And through his death, mysteriously and marvelously, Our sin is covered, our debt is paid, the distance is breached, and we can be redeemed. St. Paul says, you were bought with a price, the costliest price, the loveliest price paid, because God couldn't conceive of forever without you in his life. I was in Bristol yesterday, and uh, there in uh, Corn Market, there are four bronze tables about four foot high, the oldest of which is about 
500 years old. And they're called the nails. And uh, they're where commodity traders for hundreds of years would haggle over their deals. They would do the deal and then money would be put on, or a promissory note of payment, put on the nail. And the deal was done, paid on the nail. That's where it comes from. It's an old medieval barter practice of payment. And I was listening this week to a, an old song, very old, about 1972, by a chap called Graham Kendrick called Paid on the Nail. And the lyrics go like this. Listen to this. They say, If you heard that your life had been valued, that a price had been paid on the nail, would you ask what was traded, how much and who paid it, who was he and what was his name? If you heard that his name was called Jesus, would you say that the price was too dear, held to the cross not by nails but by love? It was you broke his heart, not the spear. Would you say you are worth what it cost him? You say no, but the price stays the same. If it don't make you cry, laugh it off, pass him by, but just remember the day when you throw it away that he paid what he thought you were worth. Paid on the nail. Christ nailed to the tree. Christ paying on the nail cancelling the debt that we had accrued through our sin, his blood covering our sin and our shame and our guilt and bringing us to God. And he did it willingly and volitionally and freely. He did it with pride because he knew that he would have us in his life. So we're rescued and we're redeemed and then lastly, the cross restores us. Again, verse 13, it says, he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. God has rescued us and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Redemption, if you like, is buying out of debt. But there is restoration bringing into this new kingdom. We've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness. We've been bought out of it, but we are brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. Now again, in the Roman world, even if on a very rare occasion a slave could buy or have their freedom bought, they were always stigmatized. In fact, former slaves, even when free, had to wear funny felt pointy hats to indicate they were former slaves. They weren't allowed to be Roman citizens, or almost never. They were not allowed to be priests. They were not allowed to be magistrates. They couldn't hold public position. The shadow of their former slavery always clung around them. But not so the person redeemed and rescued by Jesus. They are fully restored. And there's not a whiff of that slavery about them. The God who buys our freedom takes us home. Not to be another slave or servant in his home, but to be a son in the kingdom of the son that he loves. We become sons and daughters and heirs and co-heirs with Christ under God 
our loving Father. The term rescue, the term redeem, that seems rather transactional, but this fundamentally is relational. It's not about doctrines, it's about intimacy. God rescues us and redeems us and restores us so us can be with him. We're brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're brought out of the shadow land. We're brought into the light of his wonderful glory. What an amazing place this kingdom is that we're promised, where God wipes away all tears, drives away all fears, restores the wounded years. We've just had that powerful, moving testimony of Natalie. And the God who did it for her can do it for you. It's what he does. It's what he does. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been and for how long you were at it, he, by his blood, can forgive and take you into this kingdom of restoration. You know, the word restaurant comes from the Latin restore, 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 it's where our word restore comes from. Restaurant and restore are the same words. And God invites us into this great restaurant and says, feast at my table, and that feast of bread and wine, apparently so modest, is the greatest thing that you will ever taste. This is the only thing that will transform your world. To be restored means to be where we belong, back where we belong. And ever since that great and tragic fall of our forefathers, humankind has been falling away, falling, falling, falling into oblivion. Walking around in the shadow lands, as Lewis says. And all through history, God has run after us. He's chased us down to bring us back to himself and sought to try and bring us back to paradise. The Bible begins with paradise in Eden and it ends in heaven. Paradise means a garden. It's always been God's desire. We've lived exiled. We've lived expelled. We've had a, a, a sense of that, an existential gnawing, knowing thing. We're not where we should be. We're not as we should be. We're not with whom we should be. How do we get there? We can try all manner of things, but how do we get home? And at the cross, God comes to bring us home. <laughs> I heard a Radio 4 interview with the comedian Deborah Francis White. She found out she was adopted and searched for her biological parents. She said she wanted to know her story and her identity. And she described it like this. She said, it's like looking behind the curtain. She said, if you never look, all the wonderful things you imagine and hope for may actually exist. A big family waiting to welcome you in and an empty seat with your name on it. And at the cross, Jesus, the rescuer, pays the price, the redeemer, in order to restore us and bring us home. And the curtain that separated God from humanity was torn in the temple from top to bottom as Jesus died, saying, The way has been made open. And anyone who looks to Jesus can come in. 
And there's your family. And there's the seat with your name on it. I need to finish. I don't know if you've watched the program Repair Shop. I've become my dad. I'm watching that sort of middle-aged stuff. But One Guardian columnist wrote about the program, The Repair Shop. Nothing but good happens in the repair shop. Nothing but good happens in the kingdom of heaven. People bring their precious objects, you'll know, and they're all bust up, full of memories, but much-loved heirlooms, and that in the hands of the craftsperson, this old pot or this old clock or this old mechanical, you know, whatnot, is restored, often better than it was at the beginning. In the hands of the craftsman, it's restored to its former glory. Church is a repair shop. The kingdom of heaven is a repair shop. You know, the repair shop is filmed just down the road from Glorious Goodwood, just a couple of minute walk. Glorious Goodwood. And it was at the Glorious Goodwood of the cross of Christ where we are rescued and where we are redeemed and where we are restored. Three R's that changed the world, or as we say in Bristol, ooh Let's stand.